I love this church. I really do. Thank you. Thank you for that, girls. That was great. That was a blessing. All right. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Music has been good. It's been a blessing. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse number 20. And we're going to go all the way through the end of the chapter. So beginning at verse number 20, give, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church." For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now our text this morning is going to come from verse number 32, where it says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the title to the message this morning is Christ and the Church. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, this morning we thank you for the opportunity and, and the privilege we have to be here today. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit will teach us and, and show us some things this morning that will be helpful and be encouraging and Lord, I pray that you might have your will and your, your way. Lord, I pray that you might guide my tongue and help me to say the things that I should say and not say the things that I should not say. And then, Lord, we, we ask for the results to be left up to the, the Holy Spirit this morning. And so, Father, we thank you for these things, for it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, before we look at the text, I want you to back up and look at verse number 20. And I want to remind all of us here this morning about a very important admonition found in this verse. Verse 20 says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're reminded by the Apostle Paul that it's our job to be thankful always, no matter what happens in your personal life. And no matter what happens in your professional life, no matter what happens at home or on the job, no matter what happens at the church, 
We are to be thankful. Amen. We're to be thankful for all things. All in the Greek means all. <laughs> you know, not only are we to be thankful for the blessings and the benefits that come our way, but we're also to be thankful for the trials and the troubles and the temptations and the time of testing. We're to be thankful for those things as well. Giving thanks always for all things. Is that what it says? Amen. Am I reading that right? We believe what the Bible says. Giving thanks always for all things. You know, the Apostle Paul had an infirmity. God had given him a thorn in the flesh. And Paul went to the Lord three times and he asked God to remove that thorn in the flesh. And God said, Paul, no. He said, I have given you this infirmity for a reason. And he said, don't ask me again. Paul said, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then the Apostle Paul makes what I think is one of the craziest, insane statements that was ever made by a human being. He said, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Amen. Who in the world takes pleasure in pain? What is wrong with that guy? But you know what? If it's for Christ's sake, the Lord Jesus Christ can take the pain and he can turn it into pleasure. Amen. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. I don't know how he does it. He can turn weakness into strength. And so we can and should be thankful for everything that comes our way. The disappointments and the disasters and the heartbreak and the terrible news and the infirmities, the persecutions, the distresses, all of that. And when you're thankful, now listen to me, when you're thankful for everything that happens in your life, then you are acknowledging that God is sovereign in your life. Now what does that mean? When, when, when you hold God as sovereign in your life, you're acknowledging His supreme authority and you're acknowledging His power. Our God is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's all-powerful. He knows everything. He's everywhere. And nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing. If God is sovereign... It means that you acknowledge and you recognize that he is in charge of your life and he's in charge of all things, all things. Now, on the other hand, when you are not thankful for everything that happens in your life, then you're telling God that he isn't doing a good job. You're telling God, hey, God, you've made some mistakes. I don't think God makes mistakes. When you're thankful, or on the other hand, when you're not thankful, you're telling God you don't trust Him. 
And you're telling God that you have no faith in his leading. So when you give thanks for the bad things that happen in your life, you're telling God that he is good. You know, uh, last week my, my, we, were, we were out of town for a couple weeks and one morning in particular my wife was having a lot of pain. And she woke up and she was crying. And, and, uh, but I noticed that the shirt she was wearing said, God is good. And I said, your shirt, she goes, I'm wearing this shirt to remind me that God is good all the time. Even though she was in the midst of pain, she recognized that God is good even in the midst of pain. So when you offer thanks for the bad things in life, God considers it a sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice that pleases him. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Listen to me. It does not matter what's happened in recent days. There's a purpose for it. There's no event that takes God by surprise. God knows all things. He knows everything. And so it's our job to trust him and to be thankful. You got that? Amen. All right, now let's look at verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now our passage here gives us some vital instructions for those of us that are married. If you're a Christian couple and you're married, then you have some instructions here. And, uh, and these instructions will help you be successful. Now, the thing that I want us to see in this passage is that uh, the, the illustration of marriage is a picture of the relationship that the church has to Christ. You could say that the church and Christ are married. Um, four days ago, four days ago, my wife and I celebrated 43 years of marriage. Amen. I, I, I met my wife uh, when I was two. No. <laughs> uh, I, met my wife in I met my wife in college. Uh, I went to a Bible college and I was walking down the, down the hallway and I saw this absolutely gorgeous girl with long dark hair standing by the information desk. And man, I needed some information. The problem was, the problem was she was standing with a, a group of her friends. You know, they were protecting her from all the boys. And so uh, I, I, I couldn't talk to her, but I said to myself, self, I, I, I got to find a way to meet this girl. So uh, I started... I'm on the prowl. I'm looking for her all over the place. It, she was always with her friends. I was so aggravated about that. Girls, stop hanging out with your friends and let the, let the boys have a chance. Anyway, uh, one day, toward the end of the day, uh, classes were over. I was walking down the hall going toward the post office, and there she was all by herself. So I scooted up just as quick as I could, and I, I got beside her. And, because I knew this was my chance, and I said, hey. And she said, hey, it's a good sign. And I looked at her and I said, you are my appendix. I need to take you out. 
Is that a great pickup line? Well, I actually, I didn't say that. I wasn't that, I wasn't that cool back then. I was pretty nerdy. I should have said, you are my tonsils, because then I could take you out twice. But anyway. <clears throat> well, anyway, though. Uh, anyway, I introduced myself to her, and, and uh, I asked her if I could sit with her in chapel. That's what you did back in those days. It was a Bible college, so that's where you had your date, was in chapel. And then I asked her if we could sit and have lunch afterwards, and she, for whatever reason, agreed. I can't figure that out. But uh, to make a long story short, you know, amen. I'm really crushed. But I'd be thankful for all things. Well, to make a long story short, um, you know, we dated and we got to liking each other. And, and then we fell in love and... She was deceived, and she fell in love with me. And I, I asked her to marry me, and she reluctantly agreed, but she did. And, you know, 43 late, years later, we're still married. And I, I, don't, I honestly, I don't know how she's put up with me for all these years, but I, I, I'm truly thankful. But now listen. If you are a Christian married couple, God has some rules for you to follow. And if you follow these rules, you're going to have... A successful marriage. So husbands, husbands, you're the head. That doesn't mean you're some kind of a ruthless dictator. It doesn't mean that you're an uncompassionate idiot. What it means is that you're the head, but you are to love her. But you are to love her the way you love your own body. And you are to nourish her, and you're to cherish her. That's your job. And wives... If you want true happiness and comfort and support and security, the Bible says that you must submit yourself to him. God made you to be his helper. And God made you for him. But now these admonitions are not for just for the husband and the wife. These admonitions are about Christ and his church. So we're not here this morning to talk about the... Uh, the husband and the wife were talking about Christ in the church. It's a story, it's an illustration <clears throat> that shows us the sacred and the wonderful relationship that Christ has with us as a church. And so I want to take a few minutes this morning to talk to you about the relationship of Christ and the church. Now doctrinally in this passage, we know that it's talking about the body of Christ. It's not necessarily talking about the local New Testament church, but we can certainly apply that. Now, I want you to look at verse number 23. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So number one, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of the church. Amen. Christ is the head of the church. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen. He's the owner. He's the boss. Amen. He's the head of the whole thing. The church was not the invention of some man. You know, some guy didn't walk down the street and say, hey, you know, I got a great idea for the, uh, the social interaction of people. I'll call it, I'll call it a church. No, there, no man was smart enough to figure that out. No man could ever conceive of such a thing as the church. The idea for the church was God's idea. And 
God leads. The Lord Jesus Christ leads. He guides. He instructs. And the church is His and it belongs to Him. Now, God uses men to establish local congregations. And God may lead a man to come to an area to get the thing going. And when the church gets established, it gives us as believers an opportunity to serve and an opportunity to work and an opportunity to have a ministry. And God gives us instructions and he gives us help along the way. And this local church might, may, might have been started by a man, but this church belongs to Christ. And so Christ is the head. Now, number two. Look at verse 29. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it, uh, nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. Now, now, what does that mean? Nourish means to feed and to cause to grow. Nourishment is supplying the necessary nutrients so a thing can grow and be healthy. The Bible tells us that Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. There's a beautiful illustration for this found in the Old Testament story of Joseph. We remember uh, Joseph. His brothers hated him. Uh, his brothers despised the way their father, uh, the way their father favored him. They hated Joseph's dreams. Uh, they hated, they thought he was a, just a big spoiled brat. They hated him so much, they wanted to kill him. But God spared his life and God sold Joseph into slavery in the land of Egypt. And we know what happened. Joseph was falsely accused. He was thrown into prison. He suffered for 13 years. But God was with him all along the way. Now fast forward in time. Joseph is now second in command in the land of Egypt. And it's his job to feed the people during the famine. And so in the course of time, God brings Jacob and all of his family down to the land of Egypt so that Joseph could care for them. But in the process of time, Jacob died. So with the death of their father, the brothers got nervous, they got scared. And so they got together and they concocted a lie. And they said, Joseph, dad said, you need to forgive us. But Joseph, being the wise man that he was, the Bible says that he, he began to weep and he began to cry. And he said, am I in the place of God? It's not my job to dish out vengeance. That, that job belongs to God. And then he said this. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now listen to what else Joseph said. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And it says he comforted them and he spake kindly to them. Now there's a picture of what the Lord does for us. He nourishes and then he cherishes. Cherishes to treat with tenderness and affection and to give comfort and to give encouragement. That's good. Now listen, 
If you're a child of God, you are greatly loved by God. And God wants you to grow spiritually, and he supplies the nutrients that are needed for your spiritual growth. He gives us the word. He wants us to feed on that word every single day. He has delight. He takes great delight in the meals that he prepares for us. And you're missing out on a good meal if you don't read your Bible every day. You're losing out. Sometimes it's meat. Sometimes it's milk. Sometimes it's a good dessert. Maybe it's angel food cake. But something else. God also supplies men to prepare the nourishment for us. You go back just one chapter in the book of Ephesians, and, and we've read this before, but if you go back to verse number 11, God says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So God gives us men to prepare spiritual meals for us. So what do we do? So we go to church. So we come to Sunday school. So we come to a worship service. So we go to a prayer and we go to a Bible study. And sometimes a pastor feeds us. Sometimes it's a missionary that comes our way and the missionary feeds us. Sometimes it's an evangelist that comes and feeds us. Sometimes it's a pastor from another church who comes to feed us. Sometimes God wants to make a change in meal preparation. And sometimes God moves one chef out and he moves another chef in to take that one's place. So we learn that Christ is the head of the church. And we learn that Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. But let me show you a third and final thing. I want you to look at verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now listen, I want you to know that the, the church is the object of Christ's love and affection. The church gives him pleasure. It gives him delight. The Bible says Christ loves the church. He cares for the church. He provides for the church. He grows the church. And he has set aside the church for his special purpose. The Bible says that he cleans it up through the word of God. But verse 25 tells us even more. Not only does it say that he loved the church, but it says that he gave himself for the church. He gave himself. What does that mean? The Apostle Paul had gathered a group of elders from Ephesus together. And he was talking to them and encouraging them. And he said to them, I want you to know that I'm going to Jerusalem and I may not see you again. He said, I've done my best to teach you. I have done my best to set a good example. I've gone publicly and from house to house. And then he says to these pastors, take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost 
hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. And then he says this, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Paul reminded them that Christ loved the church so much that he purchased it with his own blood. Christ didn't save up a bunch of money so that he could make a down payment on the church. He didn't go to the bank to borrow the money for the church. He didn't get a bunch of wealthy investors together so he could buy the church. He paid for the church with his life. He gave his blood for the church. He was mocked. He was spit on. He was publicly humiliated. He was tortured. He was attacked. He was brutally beaten. He was killed in the most unimaginable, sadistic, inhumane way. The creator of this universe took on the form of a man. He humbled himself and became a lowly human creature. And he lived among mankind and he endured the attacks of wicked men. And he endured the attacks of Satan. And one day he was crucified on a cruel cross. And he shed his perfect and his holy blood to purchase this church for himself. He gave everything. He gave everything. And that's how much he loves this church. He gave it all. His death gave him the right to be the head of the church. Christ is the head. Christ is the Savior. Christ loves the church. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. He gave his life for this church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ has sanctified the church. He set it aside for his purpose. He has plans for the church. This is a spiritual thing. This is a special thing. And there's not anything like it on the planet. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're a part of it, it's a privilege. Amen. It's a big deal. Amen. So just as the wife is married to the husband, the church is married to Christ. Amen. Now, I want to read a final passage. And he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Yes, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. The Bible says marriage is honorable in all. We're married to Christ. Christ is married to us. One day he's going to present the church as a glorious church without yes. spot or wrinkle. Amen. But in the meantime, he's trying to get some of the spots out and iron out some of the wrinkles. And sometimes the heat isn't that great. But he's trying, he's working on us. And one of these days, we're going to be perfect. Yes. But the Bible says marriage is honorable in all, in the bed, undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. We have, we have a Savior and a head Amen. who loves us. And he says, I'm not going to leave you. Amen. And I'm not going to forsake you. Amen. Christ is the head. He cherishes the church. He nourishes the church. He loves the church. He gave himself for the church. And we can be thankful because he will never leave us or forsake us. Yes. Let's pray.
Father, this morning, we can't express our love to you for all that you've done for us. You gave everything so that we could be here. You gave everything so that we could be saved and so that we could have heaven as our home. And Lord, I know that there's bumps and bruises along the way, and I know there's obstacles, and I know that the devil hates what we're trying to do, and the devil's job is to destroy. And Lord, we've asked you to put a hedge of protection about us, and Lord, we've asked you to bless us, and you have. Lord, what a wonderful place we have. Lord, this morning, I pray that you might give us the determination to follow you no matter where you lead us, to follow you in whatever path you choose. And Lord, I pray that you might help us to keep our eyes on you. Lord, I pray that you might help us to be willing to do whatever it is that you would have us to do, whether we understand it or not, whether we like it or not. Lord, I pray that you might give us the grace to follow you in the way that would be pleasing to you. And Lord, I pray that as a church, we might please you and that we might always do the things that you would have us to do. Now, Lord, we pray now that you might take this time of invitation. Lord, I pray that you might uh, use it to speak to our hearts. And Lord, we're going to thank you for the results, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed,